welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. So this morning, we're going to be talking about revenge. Everyone's favorite subject, revenge. I was inspired by having two kids this week about the power of revenge. There's this guy, he goes into a doctor's surgery and uh, the doctor sits him down because he's been bitten by a, a feral dog while he was on a mission trip over in India. He goes into the doctor's surgery, the doctor sits him down, gets the results of the tests and tells him that he has contracted rabies from this dog bite. The doctor says it's not really good news because you're kind of at the end of this infection, this this disease, and uh, I have to tell you that you don't have much longer to live. And so the doctor informs him that it's probably good, a good idea to get your affairs in order and write your stuff down. Who are you going to give your, your get your will written down? And he goes, I'm just going to give you a moment to to kind of. Think about what's happening and what, you know, take, take this in. And so the doctor leaves the room and he comes back and he finds the man sitting there with his notepad and pen writing stuff out. And he goes, it's good to see that you're taking this seriously and, you, and you're thinking about what's going to happen. Uh, are you writing the will for what you're going to give away? And, he think, and the man stops and looks at him and says, no, I'm writing a list of names of people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> There's another man. He's sitting in a, uh, in a diner and uh, three bikies walk in, three big, rough bikies. They walk in and they see this little man sitting there by himself and they take it upon themselves to terrorize him. They start to slap him, to tease him, to push him, to take his food and he doesn't react. He doesn't respond. And so they push him more. They, they, they try and stir him up to get a bit of a reaction from him and he doesn't react. He eventually finishes his, his lunch, pays for his lunch, goes out. Then the bikies come up to the lady at the till and they say, gee, he wasn't much of a man, was he? And she looks out the window and she goes, he wasn't much of a driver either. He just reversed his truck over three bikes. <laughs> Two kids that will name, remain nameless are one seven, one three. The three-year-old pulls his seven-year-old sister's hair. She yells and screams. And uh, the parent hears the screaming and comes in and tries to console her. And she says, oh, he just pulled my hair. And the parent says, trying to be wise, says, well, he doesn't really know what he's doing or how much that hurts. And she's like, okay. Later, you hear the three-year-old screaming. The parent comes in, and the seven-year-old says, now he knows how much it hurts to have it pulled. Revenge. Revenge. I want to talk about our attitude to revenge. I want to open up in the Scriptures, if we could, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
when I say that word and when I, say, when I, when I talk about the, the concept of revenge, if you're a follower of Jesus, it probably doesn't sit that well with you. Because you would know that as followers of Jesus, our calling is not to, to get revenge. Our calling is to follow Jesus and to, to love people and to bless people. And uh, there was a lot that was said about this in the Scriptures. Jesus said it. The early church fathers talked about it, about the concept of revenge and how we are to handle ourselves. We're going to open up the scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 3 and reading from verse 8. And we're going to bounce around a couple of different passages today. Verse 8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil. Do not retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, making some jokes there about my kids and watching them, but... I see it, and I see it all the time, that when one of them is wronged, when one of them is hurt, when one of them is, uh, the other one says something to the other one or hits the other one, which happened a few times this week, the first reaction is to react with the same spirit that was used against them. To hit back, to fight fire with fire, to take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth or to, to hit, to swear to three-year-old, no swearing, to yell, to hurt, to manipulate, to get revenge, which seems like it's something that is almost built into us. The natural response is to want to get payback, to want to take revenge. Peter writes to, to the, the church as they're in the midst of this place where, where they are being persecuted for their faith. They're being punished for what they believe in. They're suffering for doing good. They're trying to follow Jesus. And uh, at any point in their their journey, when he writes this letter to the churches there, they could have been dispersed from their homes. They could have been sent out. They could have been taken away. They could have lost everything because of their faith in God. And he says to them that people are going to do evil to you. That there will be people who persecute you. There will be people that come against you. There will be people that speak things of you. There will be people that do things to you. But your attitude toward them is not to repay evil with evil. As the church was being persecuted, the opportunity was there for them to fight back. To fight with the same way that they were being fought against. To rise up. And yet Peter here, and we read it also, Paul says this. And Jesus himself talked to his disciples about this. Says to them, do not repay evil with evil. Verse 9, do not repay evil 
with evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. I think about Jesus when he was teaching his disciples. He's talking to his disciples and he says, Bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. Love your enemies. Those who, who, who are trying to, to destroy your faith, those that are coming against you personally, don't retaliate. Don't, don't fight back in the way that you would see others fight back. Instead, bless them. Instead, pray for them. And imagine the people that Jesus had with him, his disciples. You know, One of them was named Simon the Zealot. A zealot is not just someone that was passionate. A zealot was part of, of like a political party, a Jewish political party that was trying to overthrow the Roman occupation. They were trying to overthrow the Roman rule. Their desire was to, to rise up in power and to take over, to get themselves free, to get independence. So Jesus talks to one of his disciples who has come from an, an, an understanding of we're going to take the kingdom in this way. We're going to turn things over and we're going to fight from Outside, and, and Jesus says, that's not how we're going to respond to the persecution that's coming. That's not how we're going to respond to what's taking place. He tries to inform the church that there is going to be things that are said of you. There are things that are going to be done to you. Evil is going to happen. But your response in that and your reaction to that is not to be the way that this world responds. He defines it for them. Don't pay back evil with evil. Instead, pay back evil with good. Do good. Paul says it in Romans 12. The same thing. Don't pay back evil with evil. Instead, pay back evil with good. Now, we talk about this in a way that could be uh, to the church at that time. Their context, what it, what it meant to them was that there was a real threat to them. People were coming in, knocking on their doors, trying to disperse them, trying to break them down, uh, persecuting them for their faith. And so this was a real thing to them. But to us today, perhaps we don't have that same sort of persecution uh, with our faith. But if you're in this room, you've probably had things said about you before. Maybe there's been things that have been done to you before. Maybe you've experienced someone's uh, evil before, someone doing bad to you before. So all of us, at some point in life, are faced with the, the, the reality of evil, of things being done to us, said about us, said to us. And we are then faced with how will we respond in those moments when something comes our way. He says, don't repay evil with evil. Instead, repay it with good. This can come down to, you know, I think part of the understanding that we could have is that uh, for, for us as Christians, then we just have to just take everything. And, and, and I think that's a misconception. I think that maybe uh, is perhaps a, a, a misunderstanding of, of what is, is said here. He doesn't say receive evil and do nothing. He's not talking about having a passive, inactive attitude toward evil. Just receiving it, just becoming a doormat, just taking it all. Even when Jesus says, you know, if someone slaps your cheek, turn the other cheek. You know, that's not an inactive, passive way of just taking what is coming to you. That's a powerful way of showing love. It's saying... 
that as the harder you hit me, the harder I'm going to love you. Don't repay evil with evil, but repay it with doing good. Here is the active part of it. It's not that I just receive it, but I get payback. And I pay it back with good. When someone does evil to me, my call then is to repay that with something good. I'm not inactive. I'm not passive. I'm not just taking it. In fact, I'm taking what they throw at me and I'm turning it around and using it for good. To bless them. To do something that would bless them. I'm not just taking it. I'm doing something that's going to be good for them. I'm thinking of their good. I'm blessing them. In fact, he says that when, when people insult you, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. How difficult at times is that? When someone insults you, the first thing you want to do is just let them know who they're talking to and why they shouldn't be talking like that. But we're called to, and he says there, this is what God has called you to do. This is the way that God has called you to live. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. So here's two things that we're called to do from this passage. We're called to plot the blessing and pray the blessing. To plot the blessing. You know, if, if someone's trying to get revenge, you know what they do? They think through how I'm going to get this person back. They plot revenge, the evil scheme of how I'm going to get, get payback on this person. What if that was reversed? What if we sat down and thought about how we're going to plot some blessing for the person that has hurt us? The person that has said something about us. We sit down and we think, you know what, I'm not going to take that, but I'm going to actually think about how I can bless this person. I'm going to come up with a plan, a grand scheme for revenge in a positive way to bless this person, to come against what they have brought against me with an opposite spirit to what they brought it. And I'm going to release blessing into their lives to come up with ideas of how I can show love to that person that is showing hate to me, to come up with ideas of how I can bless that person that is, is speaking ill of me, that is uh, slandering me, that is trying to break down my character and reputation. How can I bless that person? What can I do to bless that person? Does that not sound a little bit crazy? And is that not central to what Jesus teaches? The love of those who hate us, the love of those who are enemies. Abraham Lincoln said, the best way to destroy an enemy is to make him a friend. The best way to destroy an enemy is to make them a friend, is to love them in a way that they almost can't refuse what you're giving to them, to plot blessing. Think about it, maybe practically the next time someone says something, does something that upsets you, that, that hurts you, that they show evil towards you, think about what you can do to bless that person, to show them that, that God loves them. 
and that what they're doing to you or what they've done to you isn't going to shake you and it's not going to cause you to, to be overcome, but that you're going to bless them. The other thing there is pray for blessing. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Pray for their blessing. Another thing that can be difficult when someone is, is uh, you know, coming against us, when someone has done evil to us, when someone has abused us, when someone has done something that is you know, not right toward us, to have a heart that prays for the blessing of God for that person. To pray God's richest blessing over them and into them. I mean, how countercultural is that? But how much of the heart of God is seen in that? He redemption, and I believe that God wants to bring redemption through His church and opportunities for redemption, redemptive love to be shown, for, for blessing to be released can come in those moments when we are given opportunities when people come against us. There's a passage in uh, the Gospels which talks about um, John and James and how you know, Jesus and his disciples had come to Samaritan villages and they were, they, they'd encountered a little bit of trouble. And uh, James and John, who were earlier referred to as the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, which would tell us a little bit about their character, that perhaps they were quite fiery. Uh, their, their initial response when Jesus is met with this rejection in the, from the Samaritans is, hey, let's call down fire. Jesus, do you want us to burn them up? We got, uh, you know, we got a plan, Jesus. They're not letting us in. They're talking ill of you. They're, they're rejecting you. But we got, we're plotting. We've got a plan. Here is our plan. Let's sit down. Let's draw it up. Fire. <laughs> Dead. That's the plan, Jesus. Fire. Boom. All gone. No more problem. We walk in. What do you reckon, Jesus? You know what Jesus says to them? What? He goes, you do not know what spirit you are of. You do not know the spirit that you carry. We don't do it like that. That's not the way that we're going to be doing it. We ain't calling down fire to burn them up. That's not the spirit that you carry. In fact, you're going to come with an opposite spirit. You're going to go toward them with love where they show you hostility. You're going to go toward them with peace when they show you anger. When they show you hatred, you're going to go towards them in peace. What's amazing is later in Acts uh, chapter 8, we see that the, the, the Samaritans have received the gospel. The gospel has reached their village. To, it's reached into their town. And the apostles hear this. They hear, hey, the, the gospel is gone. Some of us have to go. And guess who goes? John. One that was wanting to call down fire to burn them up is then sent to them when they've received the gospel. And it says that John and Peter laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. They called down fire from heaven to fill them with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had another plan in store for the Samaritans. It wasn't that they would be burnt up with the fire it would be that they would be filled with the Spirit. What if God allows you to, to encounter people who come against you, who rub you the wrong way, who say things against you, so that you can be a conduit of blessing to them? Because He wants to reach them as much as we want to reach them. 
because he wants to reach into their lives. And maybe, maybe, maybe he lets Judas sit at your table so that you can be a conduit of blessing for them. So you can give opportunities for them to, to encounter Jesus' love through your life. Maybe those times when we receive evil, when someone says something, does something to us, it's actually an opportunity for the heart of God to be expressed through us into them and possibly to break some stuff in them, possibly to bring uh, the gospel to them, possibly to open their hearts with the transforming love of Jesus. Not easy, even just to catch that, but, but praying for those who have persecuted us, praying for those who have hurt us. And I, I love the fact, you know, Jesus calls us to pray for them. Because if you've ever prayed for someone you know, you can't pray for someone for too long and stay angry with them. It's really hard to hold hatred towards someone when you're praying for them. If you're getting the heart of God for that person and you're praying in line with what he's saying about that person, it's hard to, to hold on to a grudge when you're praying with the heart for that person. He's really, really good, Jesus, isn't he? He knows how to, to make this stuff work. So if you're struggling with that, even forgiveness, even, even with what's been what done to you, here's the point to start, to pray for blessing for that person, to pray with a genuine heart. It, it's, you, know, you can say some, some nice things about someone and then still have anger and hostility and hatred in your heart, bitterness toward them. So praying for those who wrong us is actually releasing the heart of God into us and showing us who he says they are and helping us to value that person, to see the divine fingerprint of God in their life, to love them the way that he would have us love them, to not just cast them out, give up on them, cut them off, or pay back evil with evil. Pray for those who persecute us. The heart is really important in this because how you react actually reveals more about your nature than it does about the person who's coming against you. And you can't be responsible for everything that happens to you, but you can take responsibility for everything that happens in you. You can take responsibility for what's taking place in your heart. You are not inactive and passive in that. You have a say in how you process. You have a say in what the way that you work through things with God. But the way that you respond or the way that you react actually shows what's going on in your heart. And sometimes those, those bad reactions, those bad responses are actually blessings to us because they show us that there's some work that needs to happen in us. There's still maybe an area there that hasn't been healed from the past. There's still maybe uh, some stuff that I, I haven't properly processed with the Holy Spirit yet. And so my reaction shows what's going on in the inside of me. So when someone says something against me and I react to them, perhaps there's something that, that, that God needs to do in that place in my heart. Maybe it's an insecurity. Maybe it's a, a, a lack of my identity. Maybe it's uh, things that have happened to me in the past that, that I haven't journeyed through the, the process of healing. But it reveals what's actually going on inside of us. So again, God in all of his graciousness 
He offers us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for our hearts to be transformed, for our hearts to be filled with his love, changed, shaped, and molded to become more like him, so that when those areas are pushed, Jesus comes out. Because ultimately, the only thing that's going to come out of you is what's in you. And when you're pressed, when they're pushed, when the sandpaper starts rubbing, whatever's in you is going to come out of you. So the more of Jesus that is in you is going to come out. And if I want to represent him well, then the path of healing, the path of wholeness, the path of my emotional health, the path of me becoming more like him is important because that's how I respond to people. When it's pushed, when push comes to shove, what do you do? The way you respond, the way you react, shows up what's in your heart. And it's okay at this point for wherever we're at in life, for us to see those things and think, man, I'm not good with that. That's not the nature of Jesus coming out in that area. That's not the nature of the Holy Spirit in, you know, reflecting the fruit of the Spirit there. But what I think is not okay, and I say this with love and grace, is for us to just hold those things and say, it's just me. That's just the way I am. It's just the way I react. People just got to stay away from me because I'm crazy. Don't talk to me before I have my coffee in the morning because that's when there's less Jesus. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 that's just me. Everyone else has to adapt to just me because... I've got these sharp edges and I, I, I'm abrasive and, and, and I just say what I think, as rude as that may be, if we want to represent Jesus and the heart of Jesus the best that we can, our hearts have got to be open to, if God, if this is not showing your love to people or if this is becoming an issue to others receiving what you want to do in them, then I'm opening that up for you to do something in that area. I'm not holding on to it and just saying, that's my personality. That's just the way I am. That's, that's my upbringing. True, we may be at that stage, but are you willing to allow Holy Spirit to do the work in your heart to, to maybe work on that area? Some of us, some of us perhaps have had you know, cages or restrictions put upon us through things that have happened in our lives, and, and we've, 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 we've allowed ourselves to be contained to that type of person. And we said, because of what's happened, that's who I am. Jesus would say, I can change what's, who you are. He may not be able to change what happened, but he can change who you are. He can change your heart. He can transform that stuff that's there. So that when push comes to shove, your response isn't, I'm going to punch that person back. It's like, how can I show God's love to this person in this situation? Do not repay evil for evil, but instead repay evil with good. Okay, Google. It just opened. That's the cue. And what can happen from this? There's a saying, opposites attract. I'm hijacking that saying to say opposite attracts. When we move towards someone with the opposite spirit, 
it attracts the blessing of God in our world and in their lives. When someone comes towards me with hatred and I move towards them with love, when I come in the opposite spirit of what they're showing, it attracts the blessing of God into my world and into their lives. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. Listen to this. And he will bless you for it. As you move in the opposite spirit, as you pray for those who who persecute you, as you pray for those who who say things against you, you you attract the blessing of God into your world and on behalf of them into their world. The opposite spirit that we come with attracts God's blessing. It attracts His grace. It attracts His love into that situation, into that thing. Now, it would be awesome if every time we did that, every time we responded in that way, the person on the other side fell to their knees, started crying and weeping and apologizing and saying, I can't believe I, I did that to you. I'm so sorry. And started dancing towards us and there was like that one of that spinning dance scenes every time. But it's not going to happen every time. Sometimes our act of love towards someone, redemptive love in a situation where something's been thrown at us, is exactly what breaks open their hearts to receive the love that they need. But in other times, it doesn't happen. That should never happen change my attitude or the reason that I respond the way I do because they haven't shown that back to me. If that was true, then I would be manipulating. I would be showing kindness or or, or giving love so that you would change your behavior towards me. Again, I can't be responsible for what someone else does, but I'm always responsible for what's in me. And we do this, you know, we do this. God sets up these principles in life and, and we take some of those principles and we, we, we manipulate them for our own benefit. I spoke before, you know, Corinthians talks about it. Those who sow generously will reap generously. Principle. God's put that in place. You can't, he can't be mocked. That's what's going to happen. My attitude towards that can be, okay, I'm going to sow so that I reap. I'm taking the principle of God and I'm manipulating it for my own benefit. It's going to happen, but my attitude toward it is important. My heart toward it is important because that's how we get that understanding. Well, I give so that I get. I'm going to give 500 bucks so that God gives me 5,000. Wrong attitude. Principle is always in play. Wrong attitude. It's the same way in this, that I'm not just going to be show you love so that you show it back to me or only when you show it back to me, I'm going to do it because that's who I am called to be. That's who Jesus has made me to be. You may have heard of this man, uh, Dylan Roof, 21 years old. He walks into a church in America with a gun. He, he goes into the Bible study, sits through a Bible study. And uh, at the end of this Bible study, he pulls out the gun and he starts shooting people. Massacre in this church. They invited him in to sit in this Bible study. 
He pulls out a gun. He shoots them. Cold blood in front of people. There's, there's, there's bodies going everywhere. There's people hiding. There's, there's tears. There's screaming. There's terror in the room. He's later arrested, brought before a court judge. And the family of those who were killed, who were some of them in that Bible study, confront him and tell him that they forgive him. This is actual footage of the courtroom on that day. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. And have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgive you. And I forgive you. I forgive you and my family forgive you. But we will take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most. Christ. So that he can change it and change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than what you are right now. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts and it'll never be the same. Tawanza Sanders is my son, but Tawanza was my hero. Tawanza was my hero. But as we say in Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. Imagine in all of that, grief and all of that pain, being confronted with that and yet not being overcome by the evil to the point that they retaliate with evil. The power of blessing those who who persecute us, being outworked. Now, I don't know how I would be not sure how you would be but I believe there is power when we show love when hatred has been thrown toward us at the end of Romans 12 Paul says this don't let evil evil conquer you but you conquer evil by doing good for me to stoop to the place of Retaliating against evil with evil is for me to be overcome with evil and overcome by evil. So for me to show love is to overcome evil by doing good. Many may have heard of uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Who's heard of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot before? 
her husband and some of his friends went over to, uh, to they, they went as missionaries over to um, a tribal, Indian tribal people to bring the gospel to them. They made connection with them. They learned some of the language to, to, to greet them. And these people were called the Orca people. And that, that word meant naked savages. This is like a, a savage group. And they make contact with them. And, and after a while, they try to uh, share the gospel with them. They try to connect with them. But one of the, the, the movements toward them was taken as a threat. And so this tribal people, they, they actually kill the missionaries who had come to bring the gospel to them. They slaughter them. They kill them. Jim Elliot was one of those people. His wife, Elizabeth, uh, makes this, this kind of stand in her heart to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil by doing good. And she gives the rest of her life to meeting that people, living amongst those people, going to them and, and sharing the gospel with them and helping them, transforming their community. An anthropologist looked at the, 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 the state of that tribe at that point in time and said with the mentality of revenge that they had, this was how they operated. They would pay back revenge for revenge. And if you wronged someone, you'd be killed. So them killing the missionaries was just part of their culture. It was just the way they did life. But an anthropologist looked at that, studied what, the way that they would have become and said that the fact that, that this lady came and lived with them and brought the gospel to them and helped them to see things in a different perspective actually saved their tribe. Because the way that they were killing one another, they were headed for extinction. So the redemptive love of Jesus turned around the destiny of a community, changed forever. She had every right to just curse them, to, to be angry with them, to hate them for taking away her husband. Yet she followed the, the, the call of Jesus to show love where there had been hurt. And it changed the destiny of a nation, of a, of a community. Another lady, Edith, Edith Taylor. Anyone heard of Edith Taylor? Edith Taylor married for 27 years. Husband is working overseas uh, in Japan. He goes over to Japan. Uh, every, every week he would write letters. They would send back letters. A week after week, and she had two little kids. And then eventually those letters started to dry up. They weren't coming as frequently. And then one letter came and said in this letter to, to his wife, he said, I have no other no kind way of telling you this, but we are now divorced. He filed divorce through some court in Mexico to divorce her. And I'm now married to a lady here in Japan. One of the kids asked, uh, Dad's not writing letters anymore. What, what's happening? Is Daddy coming back? And, and the, the wife was like, well, Dad's probably not going to be coming back. And the child asked, was, does that mean that Dad doesn't love us anymore? And then she tells this story and she says that he, the child thought about it. And then the child says to her, but mommy, that doesn't mean we shouldn't love daddy anymore. And so they started writing letters to him, to bless him, to, to keep relationship with him. And then one letter came back to them from Japan that said that he had uh, cancer. 
and that the doctors had said there wasn't much time for him to live. And so he wanted to know, with all the savings that he had had as going into his medical treatment, he wanted to know if she would be able to support his family in Japan. What a request that he would have the audacity to ask the woman that he has left if she would support his family that is in Japan that she, he left her for. And again, she tells the story of how she sat with that and she responded from a place of love. And she said to him, if they are up for it, they can move over to America and we will support them. And that's what took place. The family, after he passed away, moved over to America and lived with this lady, Edith Taylor. She cared for them. She taught the children English. She helped to raise them. She was a Christian. It was a faith that that made her do this. Because she believed that Jesus had changed her by his radical, transformational love. And that she had no other option but to show that to others. I mean, what a heart. What a crazy story. True story. When Peter writes to the church, he gives the example of Jesus. He says, this is not, un- this is not something that you have been asked to do, to love those who hate you, to pray for your enemies. Consider Jesus. He is the example in this. He is the model of this. As he went to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Because Jesus has forgiven me. Because Jesus has loved me while I was an enemy of His. While I was hostile to Him. While I I wanted nothing from Him. I wanted nothing to do with Him. He reached into my world. And with His love, He touched my heart. And changed my life. Real love doesn't just meet you when you're at your best. It meets you in your mess. And that's what Jesus does to each of us. He comes to us when we are in the messiest parts of our lives and He meets us. And then He gives us the grace to meet others in that space of messiness. I want to pray. And I want to pray for us that we would have that grace and that heart to be a people who, through whom the heart of God, the transformative redemptive love of God can be seen. To pray for that grace for our hearts to change so that what is in us starts to flow out of us and that thing that is in us is the heart of Jesus for people. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.